How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are, back at it again, working our way through the Gospel of Mark. So please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens, and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, verse 41. So we're going to pick up where we left off there. See Jesus in the garden. And uh, talking with the disciples, dealing with the disciples there who are struggling to watch and pray like Jesus uh, had asked them. And so we're going to pick up here again using the three points of the Christian faith, the three points of Bible study, which are interpretation, application, demonstration. What it says is what it means. That our opinions, our desires, our feelings are all irrelevant. What the Word of God says is the only truth there is. And also, using the principle, the clear interprets the unclear. So, using these as we slowly go through, and emphasis on slowly, slowly work our way through, we take a look at uh, what the Word of God has for us, what can we learn from this, and how can we apply it to ourselves so we can go live it, speak it, think it, do it. So, if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights regarding the study at hand, please, by all means, go ahead, ask away. If it's not related to the topic at hand, if you just hold that to the end of the study or to our next broadcast so we can try to limit our rabbit trailing. But again, folks, if uh, if you're walking through this with us, if you have questions about what we're uh, uh, dealing with at hand, please feel free to, to chime in, ask away. We'd be very glad to hear from you. All right, so grab your Bibles and turn with me to Mark 14. Mark 14. So we only got a little bit left in the uh, Gospel of Mark. We're getting into the uh, the trial of Christ. Uh, there's a lot of stuff here to to look into. And uh, if you want to see uh, more on this regarding the trial, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, um, I actually have a three-part mini-series where I did or I walked through a chronological order. Um, using the four Gospels of uh, what happened to Jesus in the trial, um, the torture, the crucifixion, the death, the, the burial, the resurrection. Walk through all this in great detail. Uh, it's a three-part uh, series. Um, it's in our playlist, uh, The Trial of Christ. Please make sure you check that out. Uh, it's quite interesting when you take a look at this. Uh, everything that actually happened, how it happened as the Word of God describes it. Um, it's quite heart-wrenching. But then again, exciting to see that the Lord went through this for us and that he is alive. The Lord Jesus Christ is alive forevermore and he saves us by grace through faith, not of works. It's all about his works, not ours. All right. So, um, yeah. All righty. So let's continue on. And we are Mark chapter 14. Make sure I got everything going on here. All right, Mark chapter 14, and let's back up here to verse um, to verse 37. And he cometh and findeth them sleeping, and saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou, couldest not thou watch one hour? We talked about that in great depth in the last video we did on Mark. Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And we emphasize on that as well, comparing that with uh, uh, Romans chapter 7 and 
Galatians 5.17. We've got a couple of references there. We've talked about that. Verse 39, and again, he went away and prayed and spake the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again. Again. And just as we see ourselves falling again and again and again in sin and temptation, again and again we see Christ as our advocate, and again and again he will convict us of sin, and again and again he promises if we, uh, if, if we ask him to forgive us our sins, he will forgive us and cleanse us by his righteousness, by his faithfulness. And First John 1, 9. And verse 39, And again he went away and prayed and spake the same words. Verse 40, and when he returned, he found them asleep again, again, for their eyes were heavy, neither wished they what to answer him. And he cometh the third time and saith to them, Sleep on now and take your rest. It is enough. The hour is come. The hour is come. So we see, ever since the very beginning of time with Adam and Eve, and after the fall, uh, we see the promise of God. We see the promise of God of the prophecies that was spoken of by the prophets all down through of the one that will come and that uh, he w the Lord will make a way. He'll make a new covenant. He'll make a new covenant. And you see, the covenant is not in ourselves. The covenant is in the blood of Jesus Christ. The covenant is in his blood, his works, what he's done. Not in ourselves. That salvation is a covenant, not a contract. Salvation is a covenant, not a contract. And... Uh, we see the hour is come and finally we see that uh, the prophecy is fulfilled that the messiah has come and we we see time going by he, he he grows up and then he goes and he teaches and he preaches and he proves himself by many infallible proofs and now the whole point the whole point and purpose the hour is come here we are the hour is come behold the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners Rise up, let us go. Lo, he that betrayeth me is at hand. Now, again, this, this goes into answering the question as some people have regarding Judas Iscariot. Was Judas Iscariot actually a saved man? No, he wasn't. He never, he never was. He never got saved, even though he followed Christ, sat with Christ, listened to Christ, and all the rest of it. it it's as the one preacher said, so close to the cross, but so far from the blood. So close to the cross, but so far from the blood. Immediately, and immediately while he yet spake, cometh Judas, one of the twelve. There are many who think that they are Christians. There are many who think that they are saved. And we see, even as the Lord says, many in that day will cry, Lord, Lord. Many will seek to uh, to kiss Christ uh, with excitement of seeing him and meeting him. But it's just a Judas kiss. Then cometh Judas, one of the twelve, and with him a great multitude of swords and staves from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And he that betrayed him had given them a token, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, the same as he. Take him and lead him away safely. Now there's a few things I want to talk about this. Now, again, like I said, a Jew, it, that the, these who think they're saved, it's nothing but a Judas kiss. They are betraying the very gospel of Jesus Christ. They're betraying grace for works. They're betraying our Lord Jesus Christ for themselves. They're replacing the covenant of blood with water. Seriously, they, they, they're doing away 
and, and they spit upon the covenant of blood of Christ and the spirit of Christ and replacing the covenant of Christ with water and their own works. And they're thinking they're kissing Christ out of affection, but it's actually a, a kiss of betrayal. Whomsoever I shall kiss the same as he, take him and lead him away safely. Now, I, I read this a few years back and I thought about this one because I, I, I never actually noticed this specifically here. Um, the question, let me ask you folks a question. Why did Judas need to point out Jesus with a kiss like this? Why did he need to signify who Jesus was like this? Why did he need to... Did the people not know who Jesus was? Why did Judas have to point him out? Think about that one. There's an answer. There's an answer in the scriptures. It crossed my mind. I was reading that a while back. It's specifically, why, why did Judas have to point out who was Jesus? Well, let's take a look. Take your Bible and go back to the book of Isaiah. 53. You see, this is the difference between reading your Bible and studying your Bible. Studying is paying attention to the specific words. Studying is paying attention to the way the sentences are laid out, the sentence structure, and all these other things. So we need to pay attention to not just what it's saying, but how it's being said. And this helps us to understand some deeper aspects and even things like this. You know, why? Ask yourself, why that word? Why did they do it that way? Why is it worded this way? So uh, we take a look here in Isaiah 53 and verse 1. Who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Now verse 2. Now this is referring to the Christ Messiah, to Jesus this is telling us what he actually looks like. Verse 2. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. Look what it says. Verse 2. Uh, as a root out of dry ground. Look what it says next. He hath what? No form nor comeliness. No handsomeness. He's not a an overly handsome looking individual. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Do you realize what that's actually saying? What that's implying? That is saying right there that Jesus is an exceptionally plain generic john smith looking individual it's what's called a gray man 
a gray man is an individual who just can blend into the crowd in the blink of an eye because there's really no distinguishing marks or features about him that he just blends right into the crowd. He didn't stand out at all. It's not about the appearance. Judge not after the appearance. So the reason that Judas Iscariot had to point out Jesus with a kiss, he that the this the multitude that's following him with the staves and torches and everything else to come and arrest him, is that only those who spent time with him could identify him. Ooh, that'll preach. But these others didn't spend time with him and they weren't able to really pick him out of the crowd. Unlike what the movies show is this Amber Crombie and Finch modeled white boy Jesus with long hair, sharp features, and non-Jewish clothing. <laughs> Wearing a, a white tunic with the big red or blue sash, which is <laughs> stupid. Um that he looked like just the average Jew of Israel, a, a normal, generic, bland Jew of Israel. And that's not sacrilegious to say or irreverent to say. That's literally what the scriptures say. So Judas knew who Jesus was. He knew how to identify him. He knew what he looked like, and he could point him out. So this crowd coming up, uh, uh, they didn't know how to identify him because jesus was so generic looking so judas knew and he says the one that i point out the one that i kiss the one that i salute as master that's jesus huh so uh this goes to say that every single depiction of jesus that you pretty much see is completely wrong uh, very, 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 very rarely will you ever come across uh, a person's imagined idea by artistic license or whatever of what they think Jesus looked like. Is it, is it ever actually even remotely biblical? Jesus did not have long hair. He was not a Nazarite. He was from Nazareth, but he was not a Nazarite. And as the scripture says, it's a shame for a man to have long hair. And there was only one exception in Israel uh, of those men from Nazareth that they were under a special uh, exemption when they would enter a specific vow before God as their hair would not be cut and they would not eat uh, the fruit of the vine or drink uh, uh uh, alcohol or touch dead bodies and a bunch of other stuff but that uh, jesus we see drank the fruit of the vine he ate through the vine he touched dead bodies so obviously he wasn't a nazarite so jesus did not have long hair he did not have sharp features he uh, again as we see no form nor comeliness no beauty with which we would desire and he was just a generic looking jew of israel of the time so give that some thought interesting and Jesus wasn't a white boy. Jesus was a Jew of Israel. Jesus was not black either. He was a Jew of Israel. And the Jews weren't 
from Africa. They're from the Middle East. They're the olive-skinned, uh, uh, complexioned individuals. They were not dark-skinned uh, or any of that, because we see so many people saying Jesus was black or Jesus was this or Jesus that. No, no, he was a Jew of Israel. He was olive-skinned, just like the regular Jews are. Um, take a look what Scripture says. All right, so. Just wanted to point that out. Some people find that interesting. Okay, so we see Judas, uh, verse 44. Mark 14, verse 44. And he that betrayed him had given them a token, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, the same as he, take him and lead him away safely. Now, one other thing I want to point out with this that is rather surprising is the absolute sheer audacity. Now, the absolute sheer audacity of Judas Iscariot who was one of the followers of Jesus with the other disciples, would lead this, this lynch mob into the garden, blatantly a lynch mob, walk straight up to Jesus and say, Master, Master, and kisses Jesus on the cheek. Now, how, how could he do that? How could an individual do that? What is that? Arrogance, obstinance, pride, spite, hatred. That's hatred. Because what, what happened? Do you remember? Satan entered him. Satan entered him. This is Lucifer driving Judas Iscariot. Whomsoever I shall kiss, the same as he take him and lead him away. And as soon as he was come, he goeth straightway to him and saith, Master, Master, and kissed him. It just, it always just grabs, grabs my attention there of the sheer level of hateful arrogance. Now, again, let's go back. What was the first thing that, that, that we can kind of take note? There may have been other aspects, but something that, that, that we can take note here that drove Judas to be like this. Jesus told him off because he was rebuking Mary, who was washing his feet, uh, because she broke the alabaster box because Judas wanted the money. And Jesus told him off, and he got mad, and now is betraying him. So this is done out of spite. This is purely done out of spite. Now, verse 46. So Judas points out Jesus to the crowd, and verse 46, and they laid their hands on him and took him. Now, what's not mentioned in the Gospel of Mark, which we do see in some of the other Gospels, is also why it's important to do a chronological uh, cross-reference and we can see all the things that happen in sequence of order. Now, when Judas came and pointed out Jesus, we see in the other Gospels that Jesus then turns to the crowd, to the lynch mob, and says, Whom do you seek? 
And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, I am. And the whole lynch mob just falls over backwards. It's complete falls over backwards. It's bowled over. They all fall flat to the ground when Jesus says, I am. Now, give that some thought. Don't you think that it'd be kind of going through your mind a little bit that this man who claims the names of God can turn water to wine, walk on water, heal the dead, heal lepers by touching them, raise the dead by speaking, knows the scriptures verbatim, never makes a mistake, never sins, can never do anything wrong. And now when he when he when he says I am, you just all complete you the whole crowd just loses control and all falls backwards uh, uh, flat on the ground. Uh, don't you think that maybe you might be re starting to rethink what you're doing? You'd think so. But you see, this is the this is the strength of delusion, the strength of spiritual deception. That when you are deceived, it's like it's like how I explain a person in a cult, a person in a cult doesn't realize that they're in a cult, and there's no argument you can use to break them out of their delusion, because it's a spiritual thing. You see, a lot of people think that you you can just logic your way out of a trap like this, but you're you're not taking a look at the power of spiritual deception. Spiritual deception. These individuals are under a spiritual deception, a spiritual blindness. As Satan is driving Judas, there are devils driving the lynch mob, and they are under such a blind delusion, they literally can't see the forest for the trees. So, Jesus says, I am, and they all fall over backwards, and they all get back up, and then keep coming to arrest him. It's, it's the same level of just plain brain-dead idiocy that, that you're also going to be seeing in the, in the army of Armageddon. I get such a kick out of this. Now, it's a horrible thing. It's not funny, but at the same time it is. It's a horrible, horrible, horrible thing that are the, all of these ones in the end of days in the Valley of uh, Megiddo in, in the Battle of Armageddon, when, when all of the military of the world gathers together in the Valley of Megiddo to fight against God. God Almighty comes in the clouds with his army. And what, 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 does, what does the Antichrist try to do? The Antichrist, which is the devil deceives the people of earth the and the armies of the earth into thinking that they can kill god by shooting him they're literally going to try to shoot god out of the sky with guns and tanks and rockets now 
if that's not the flat out sheer description of deception and idiocy, I don't know what is. But think about it. You're standing before Jesus Christ in the garden. After all the things that he has done, all the things he said, all his miracles and signs and wonders and teachings and proofs and powers. and I mean, think about all the things that he did that the Bible even says if every single thing was ever, that Jesus ever did was written down, the world could not contain it. And these people want to arrest him. Anyways, let's continue. So they come and they lay their hands on Jesus. They dare touch our master. They dare touch him. These sons of, of Baal, these, these followers of the devil, these children of the devil, swayed by the devil, dare touch our Lord. But that's exactly what went through the mind of Peter. Peter's mind, in, in a split second, he was thinking, how dare they? And he pulls out his sword. He draws his sword, and he comes in swinging. Now, okay, I, 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 I can understand where Peter is coming from in, in a... a an aspect of faithfulness in zealousness and faithfulness and wanting to defend Jesus. But that too is a deception. Does Jesus, God, need to be defended? Now, I, I, I want you to actually mull on that one. Do we need to defend God? Now, think about it. This goes into preaching and teaching and evangelism and apologetics and debating and all the rest of it. Do we need to defend God? No. Let's go up a little bit further. Do we need to defend Scripture? No. No. As Charles Spurgeon said, the Scriptures are like a caged lion. Let it out. It'll defend itself. You see, the born-again Christian faith does not need to be defended. Because the born-again Christian faith is not in danger. Saying that it is, or believing that it is, is, is then giving an air of weakness that it is possible for the faith to fail. For God to lose. Did Jesus need to be defended. Did Jesus need bodyguards? No. Peter, for a moment there, was was completely relying his his faith upon his feelings. 
where if he had been on the ball and had been thinking about it, he would have remembered what Jesus says. I've come for this reason. He would have remembered the scriptures that said what the Messiah Christ is coming for. What the whole purpose of. And Jesus did, didn't Jesus already tell them multiple times, multiple times that I'm going to be betrayed, put to death and rise again. This is why I came. Didn't he tell them that multiple times? But again, forgetfulness. Forgetfulness. God doesn't need to be defended. Jesus doesn't need to be defended. The scriptures don't need to be defended. What it says is what it means, and it can't fail, can't fade away. God can't lose. The scriptures aren't going to be destroyed. The faith doesn't need to be defended. It needs to be preached. Now, Peter, Peter, in a moment of zealousness and fervency, it, we see his intention. You, know, you, you see what I mean, that his intention, though flawed, we, we can understand it, but it was still wrong. So you can have good intentions for the faith and still be wrong. If your intentions are not based purely on as scripture says, then your intentions are wrong, no matter how good they may have, may have been intended for. So Peter, in a moment of zealous anger, draws his sword and swings. Now, it's a good thing that Peter missed because he was going for the head now it doesn't say exactly what he was doing he was just swinging for the rafters he draws a sword and just starts swinging uh but he does make contact and there's one guy uh i believe malchus i could be wrong but anyways there was there was one servant there a servant of the temple that he wound up swinging at and took his ear right off the sword glanced down and took his ear right off just severed off his ear now there would have been blood and screaming and chaos and all of this and jesus says to peter peter put up thy sword in thy sheath whosoever lives by the sword shall die by the sword he tells peter to stop he stops everything. Jesus stops everything. Now, if we go take a look at Luke, and if I can read my writing here, Luke 22. Let's go take a look at Luke 22. Let's start at verse 48. Luke 22, verse 48. Jesus said unto him, uh, to Judas, when Judas came and kissed him, and it says, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? You're coming to betray me, and out of all things, you're going to betray me with a kiss. When they which were about him saw what would follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? His disciples said, Lord, should we fight? Should we engage? Should we start fighting? Should we crusade? 
And Jesus says no. But turn the other cheek. Christ likeness. Christ likeness. Did we see Jesus try to try to spread the word by a sword? Is the faith spread by violence? Is the faith spread by by aggression? Is the, is the faith spread by the might of the flesh? No. Is the faith spread by violence and war and crusading? No. Shall we smite with the sword? How are born-again Christians supposed to behave? Like Christ. Was Christ a military man? No. What did he say about violence? And one of them, verse 50, and one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And verse 51. Now, think about this. Okay, you're in the middle of this chaotic moment. The disciples are all stirred up. Peter is gone crazy, swinging his sword and chopped off the ear of the servant. And Jesus stops everything. Tells Peter, put away your sword. Tells them to stop what they're doing. Tells everyone to stop. Then Jesus walks over to the servant of the high priest who came to arrest him. Now, really think about this. The very person coming to arrest him, mistreat him, torture him, mock him, and all the rest of it. He walks over to the man who just lost his ear, who came to misuse and abuse and arrest him and everything. And Jesus bends down, picks up his severed ear, and reattaches it. He holds the man still, takes his ear, and puts his ear back on and miraculously heals his ear. You know, there are so many Christians, professed Christians today, that say they love Jesus, but haven't got a clue who Jesus is according to the scriptures. They say they love Jesus, but their Jesus is a war general. Their Jesus is a crusader. Their Jesus is violent. Their Jesus is aggressive and wants to fight. But they believe that their Jesus condones their aggression and violence and rebellion and anarchy and everything else. And that oh, if someone tries to, t- to tell me I can't do it, I'll just fight them. You have no idea who you serve. You know, there was another account in the scriptures where Jesus and his disciples are walking along and the disciples say, Master, there's be some over here that, 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 are, that are preaching your name, but they're not following us. Should, w- w- should we uh, call down hellfire upon them and destroy them? 
Jesus said, Ye know not what spirit you are of. You have no idea what spirit you are of. The Son of Man has come to, to save men's lives, not destroy them. We see the example of the apostles and the prophets. The example of the Spirit of God. And that the call of the saints is not a call to war and violence and anarchy and rebellion and, and screaming and yelling and shouting and, and freaking out against those that would oppose them. We're not told to go out in the street and, and pick at individuals and scream at them and condemn them and hate them and spread hate against individuals. We're not told to do that. Render not evil for evil. Speak evil of no man. You say, well, are you saying we shouldn't stand up for our rights? I'm saying your rights are the rights of Scripture and the rights of faith, the rights of heaven, not the rights of earth. Your liberty is the liberty to speak Christ and Christ's likeness, not go out and wage war. If you think that uh, the same mouth can, can proceed both blessing and cursing, you have no idea. You have no idea what a Christian is. You have no idea what it is to be Christ-like. We are not told to hate and spite and, and bite and chew and spit and curse. We're not told to be like that. Rather, we're told that's of the devil and of the world. Yeah, well, Jesus flipped tables. Yeah, he's God. You're not. And the reason he did that is because they were defiling the temple and he drove out the corruption and then proceeded to teach them according to the scriptures. But your idea is just because you just want to be violent. I'm sick to death of these violent Christians, these anarchist Christians, these rebellious Christians who believe that we should go out and wage war and fight and spit and curse and chew against individuals, condemn individuals to hell. They think that that's being Christian. That's being more like the children of the devil than it is to be children of Christ. These individuals would no more sooner seek to heal the ear of the servant, but rather continue to take off his head. Being a Christian is being a follower of Jesus Christ. That means the politics of earth and the things of earth and all the issues of earth stay with the earth because we are called out of the earth. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Think about that one. The Son of Man has come to see uh, the, uh, see men's men be saved, not destroy them. Render not evil for evil. Speak evil of no man. Turn the other cheek. Love your enemy. How can we call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ if we're not even following the basic idea of what it is to be Christ-like? Why did Jesus tell them not to fight? Why did Jesus tell Peter to put away his sword? Why did God say, render not evil for evil? Why did God say, love your enemies? Why did God say, turn the other cheek? Why did God say, render not evil for evil? 
speak evil of no man. Why did he say that? Now, there's a big, massive difference between exposing sin and hating on people. Exposing sin is not hating the person. Because there are also so many progressive, liberal, limp-wristed, so-called professed Christians who, who conflate exposing sin with hating people. That if you're exposing their error, that means you're hating them. No, that that's that that's not even close. That's that's not even a thing. Yes, we are to expose sin, but exposing sin is not hating the person. You're seeking to correct error by the word of God. The manner of the spirit in which you are exposing sin must be called into question, must be considered. Like we talk about Kenneth Copeland and all these others and that they're false prophets. They're evil workers and they're liars and deceivers and children of the devil. So they are. That's not hating the person. That's calling out their error and what they are doing. Now, we see Jesus addresses this and back in mark chapter 14 verse 48 mark 14 verse 48 jesus answered and said unto the unto the crowd that the lynch mob are you come out as against a thief with swords and with staves to to take me now the ridiculousness of the logic of these kinds of individuals i was daily with you in the temple teaching and you took me not but but that the scriptures must be fulfilled. It, it, Jesus it, it even calls out their their just not nonsensical nature here. You come out against me like like I'm a thief or something with swords and staves. You have no idea what you're doing. You have no idea who I am. No idea what I'm capable of or what's going on. You're not you're not thinking at all. I was with you regularly, daily in the temple, and you never took me then. Why? 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 And you took me not. But men love darkness because their deeds are evil. They're doing this secretly. You took me not, but that the scriptures must be fulfilled. The scriptures must be fulfilled. John 3, 19. John 3, 19. And this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light that, it, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. So let's take a look here. Mark, Mark 14. Are you come out? As against a thief with swords and with staves to take me, I was daily with you in the temple teaching. You took me not, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. And verse 50. Here we are. Verse 50. Now, do you remember? Go back in Mark 14, verse 31. Mark 14, verse 31. What does it say? 
But he spake the more vehemently, If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also said they all. They all were so adamant. I will not deny thee. I will not deny thee. We'll go even go to death with you. You know, I talk about this, uh, how so many Christians in church will all raise their hand. Oh, we need revival. We need revival. And they agree with the preacher and shout amen. They're so bold with the faith and so bold about this and, and talking about how they need to evangelize, need to witness, need to stand for the Lord. It's very easy to be faithful when you're in a safe place. When you're in your safe space, which is church and other Christians. It's very easy to be Christian when you're in your safe spaces. But what about when you're out in the world in public? When you're out of your comfort zone. When you get confronted. At work, grocery store, wherever. Verse 50, and they all forsook him. They all forsook him. Not one of them stayed. Not one of them stayed. They all forsook him and fled. Ran away. They just abandoned Jesus. They abandoned the faith. That when the pressure comes on, you really see who, who the, the faithful are. The past two years, we really saw this, and this is going to be a bit of a, a judgment. We really saw in the past two years who the faithful are. The faithless and unbelieving, the fearful, the goats, the wolves, and the rats all abandoned the faith, chained up the churches and abandoned the faith, refused to witness, refused to gather together, and, and they bowed to the government and refused to keep the faith. We really saw who the faithful were in the past two years. The faithless and the fearful and the unbelieving abandoned the faith and and didn't want to witness, didn't want to evangelize, didn't want to stand up for the Lord publicly, didn't want to uh, attend church, didn't want to attend the fellowship of the saints because they, they bowed to the fear of man, the fear of government, and they fled and abandoned Jesus. Just saying. They all forsook him and fled. They all forsook him and fled. Yeah, Melissa says, you're right. The last two years were a real eye-opener. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, you really see it. Those who care more about the ways of the world and the fear of the world and the fear of men, the fear of government, and no fear of God. No fear of God. They wouldn't witness because well, something, something might get mad or, or I might get in trouble. Might get No, we shouldn't because this could happen, this could happen, this could happen. It was absolutely angering and depressing. It was one of the most grieving things to see so many professed Christians just completely abandon the faith because you might get sick. They completely dropped the torch and dropped the banner, mocked the martyrs. That the ways of this world, your own health and your own safety, your own, your own self is more important than other people's souls. More important than keeping the faith. More important than worshiping God. More important than gathering together with the saints. When God says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And they forsook. 
God says to go out and, and preach the gospel. They clammed up their mouths. God says to go lay hands on the sick and pray for them. Oh, we shouldn't do that. A complete abandoning of the Christian faith. Because they feared man more than God. They, fe they, they cared more about their own selves than they did the Christian faith. They all forsook and fled. And they dared allow the government, the unsaved pagans, to dictate to them how they should worship. The government said, don't gather together. Yes, Lord. Don't take communion. Yes, Lord. Don't hand out tracts. Yes, Lord. Don't sing the hymns out loud. Yes, Lord. Their Lord and Savior, the government. I'm getting mad. I need to calm down. You see what I'm talking about? The great falling away. It's all a part of it. It's all part of it. Yeah, here in Canada, here in Canada, I don't know what it's like in every other place, but the last two years in Canada, they brought down dictation. I, You can go look this up. They said, you're not allowed to gather together for worship. But if you do, it has to be within a certain certain number and you have to do it this way and this way. You have to cover your face. You're not allowed to sing the hymns out loud. They, this is what the government mandates were. You're not allowed to evangelize and proselytize. You're not allowed to take communion. You're not even allowed to tithe. That makes me absolutely furious. How dare you? How dare you have the audacity to think that you could dictate to me how I'm to keep my faith when my God says this. We ought to obey God rather than men. That's the time where, where you push back. But again, like the apostles did, whether it seemed right unto you to obey you or not, we ought to obey God rather than men. God says, do this, this, this. I'm going to do it. God says, I don't care what you say. Arrest me if you want. Persecute me if you want. I'm obeying God and you can't stop me. Now, it's very easy. It's very easy to be bold when it's safe. And that's the point, as we see with verse 31 and verse 50. It's very easy to be bold when everything is safe. When you're in your safe spaces. When you're in the safety of the fellowship of believers. When you don't really have the eyes of the children of the devil staring down at you. When you don't have the devils breathing down your neck. When you don't have, the, have the, them throwing stones at you yet. It's very easy when you're uh, when you're not surrounded by the police, when you're not under the pressure of the pagans and the heathens, when your safety and your well-being, your very your very household is not in threat. It's very easy to be bold. Like the Lord says, "Be careful, boast not thyself. Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, that's I bring thee down. Be careful, but be bold in the faith." Not in your own self, in your own strength, but in the strength of the Lord. And in the, the strength of faith, as we, as we see with the apostles, their reaction to this. We see they all forsook, but they learned. And by the strength of Christ, they learned. 
and the mercy of God is God did not abandon them. As God taught them and strengthened them and helped them to understand. And then we see it again, uh, see it again, persecution, and they're arrested, hauled up before the Sanhedrin with a threatening of death. They could be stoned to death. One of the worst ways to die. And what did they do? They stood boldly and proud, not arrogant and obstinate and screaming my rights and all the rest of it. Or rather, they just said, they just said we ought to obey God rather than men. And I, I, I am. And there were some of us in our church. Some. That ignored the government. God says. God says, I don't care what anyone else thinks. I don't care what the government says. I don't care what society says. I don't care what the pagans and heathens have to I don't care what the faithless and fearful and unbelieving have to say. Some of us continue to gather together. Some of us continue to evangelize and hand out tracts. Some of us continue to sing out loud and proud. Some of us continue to help and provide for the church. Everything the government said don't do, we did. Because why? Not to be rebels. Not to be anarchists. But because God said so. And it truly goes to show who the faithful are because they obey God over man. They obey God over the government. They obey God over themselves. They obey God first. God said it. And my knees might be knocking my voice uh, uh, quivering, my knees shaking. I might be terrified out of my mind because of the persecu persecutions coming down. But tie me to the stake if you must. Throw me in the bur in the fiery furnace. God is able to preserve me if He so will. But even if He doesn't, I'm not bowing to the image. I'm not bowing. You have to break my knees. Good luck with that. Are you come out as against me as a thief? What are the Christians? We're not a threat. We're not a threat to the government, but we are a threat to sin. We're a threat to darkness. Because what do we represent? We represent the righteousness of God. We, we, we represent the light of heaven, the ways of Christ. And that's why the world hates you. You don't see the government coming down on all other religions like this. You know what? I dare the government to treat the Muslims and their mosques the same way that they treated the Christians. I dare you, government, to go and chain the doors of the mosques. I dare you. But they're not gonna. They're not gonna do it to the Satanic Temple. They're not gonna do it to the Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and the Catholics, and all the rest of them. They're not gonna do it to the Buddhists, or the Hindus, or the Sikhs. They're not gonna do it to any of them. They will persecute and hate the Christians. They'll arrest the Christian preachers. They didn't arrest a single one of the Muslim preachers, or the Buddhist preachers, anyone else. But they arrested the Christian preachers. They arrested the evangelists. They chained the churches of the Christians. Why? Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. They'll hate you because of me, the Lord says. And they'll hate you because of me. And the world loves its own. The world loves its own. 
the world's false religions will compromise their own beliefs to bow to the rest of the world. They all forsook and fled. They all forsook and fled. Now I'm bringing this up again, folks. The reason why I'm going over this again, we've already gone over this kind of thing, is because what do we see happening? I'm just saying, be ready, be ready. Because they're talking about bringing back the mandates and all the stuff again for the winter. And I want it to be on record that I warned you. I told you. I charged you. I tried to encourage you to remember who you are, who you represent. And don't you dare betray our Lord. Don't forsake him. Stand, stand strong. Stand with the Lord. Obey God rather than men. Obey God rather than men. That if, if what they are saying directly contradicts the word of God, I'm challenging you to stand with the Lord. Obey God rather than men. Verse 51. And there followed him a certain young man. Now, this was Mark. And just like the Apostle John, the Apostle John, when he was talking about himself, he always talked about himself in the third person. He talked about himself in the third person. And we see the same thing happening with Mark. He's talking about himself in the third person. And there followed him a certain young man, which is Mark, having a linen cloth cast about his naked body. And the young men laid hold on him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. Now, as we see, all of, all of these lynch mob scattered to try to arrest all the disciples too. <clears throat> to arrest all the disciples. And they were trying to grab them and tackle them down to arrest them and chain them up. And they tried to take Mark. But like Joseph, remember Joseph in Egypt? We see, we see a direct correlation. Joseph in Egypt with Potiphar's wife, temptation. And, uh, she, and she grabbed a hold of him to try to seduce him. But he wrestled out of his coat and just ran out of the house. He flee temptation. Now see that there there is an an impression to concede defeat to give in to just let them take you let them arrest you but what does scripture say flee temptation and and we also see to resist evil to resist the devil flee temptation and the righteous man foresees the evil and hides himself. This, this means, as we see when we, when we put all this together, to not be like certain individuals to go out and directly challenge the authority in this. You know, you can just, hast thou faith? Have it unto thyself. If the government doesn't want you meeting in the church building, well, the building is just a building. It's just a building. You can gather together in someone's house. Or you can have church on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It doesn't matter what day it is. There are some crazy people out there who think that you can only have church on Saturday or whatever. No, it can literally be on any other day. 
And you can gather literally anywhere else, but the point is that you do gather together. That you do gather together. It doesn't have to be on Sunday and have to be at that specific building. It could be anywhere else. On any other day. So, but we see is Mark gives us an example here that, that when they're trying to pin you down, don't let them. Don't concede defeat. Even when they do arrest you and throw you in prison, don't concede defeat. Like Paul and Silas. Never concede defeat. Never concede death. Even Lazarus. Even the bones of Elisha. The Lord is able to use you wherever you are, anywhere you are. Verse 50, and they all forsook him and fled. And there followed him a certain young man having a linen cloth cast about his naked body. And the young young men laid hold on him. And he left the linen cloth and fled from them, naked even. They may take everything from you. An example here, an application that the world may take everything from you. They may take your rights, your liberties, your household. They may take everything from you. Never concede defeat in the Lord. If that means running away with nothing, then that means leaving with nothing. They fled from them naked. And they led Jesus away to the high priests. And with him were assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. Verse 54. Peter circles back. He ran away like all the rest of the men. He circles back. He circles back. And Peter followed him afar off, even unto the palace of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. And he came in, disguising himself. And he comes and sits down and tries to just blend in. Tries to just blend in. And the chief priests and all the council sought for witness against Jesus to put him to death and found none. <laughs> now, as the scriptures teach about how we are to behave and how we are to guard ourselves and all of this that when the wicked come to accuse you that they that that their accusation accusations would be false that they may accuse you falsely in my name that they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation your good conversation that if they do try to bring up charges, it wouldn't be a charge of, cr- of crime. It wouldn't be a charge against the Lord of, of evil behavior and word or whatever else. But that the only charges they'd be able to bring up against you is that you're a born-again Christian that serves the Lord biblically. So we take a look at this. The chief priests and all the council sought for witness against Jesus to put him to death and found none. They sought, they sought against him. They tried to figure out something against him, but they couldn't figure out anything. There's nothing. Verse 56, for many bear false witness against him, lied even. They even brought up lies, lies against Jesus. They lied, lied about him to try to get him in trouble. And they bear false witness against him, but their witnesses agreed not together. 
this guy would make up this thing when this guy would come in with a, a lie but it would contradict this guy and all of their lies just fell apart they, there was nothing that they could do and there there arose certain and bear false witness against him saying we heard him say i will destroy this temple that is made with hands and within three days i'll build another made without hands um that's not what jesus said they're deliberately twisting his words there's another example for us that the, that the world may come to uh, to us and to fight against us and they'll twist your words and they'll cherry pick your words they'll make up lies about you what's the example that has left us ignore them ignore them ignore them just as we see uh gamaliel one of the doctors of the law of the pharisees actually had a great uh a great point that he brought up because the sanhedrin wanted to persecute and kill the apostles but gamaliel brought up a point he says be careful what you do because if what the apostles here what these men are doing is of god you will find yourself fighting against god but rather let them alone for for if it will be of god there's nothing you can do but if it is of man it will fall apart and come to nothing it'll fall apart and come to nothing so an example is left with us here when we cross-reference these things is to ignore the haters ignore the trolls ignore the lies Lies are lies and lies will fall apart. And all people have to do is pay attention to your behavior and, and, and your ministry. And they'll see that the lies are lies and they'll ignore them. Ignore them. Ignore the haters. Ignore the lies. So, Because when you are actively, constantly going to defend yourself, defend yourself, defend yourself, defend yourself, the ministry will suffer. Because you're spending all of your time trying to defend yourself. Just ignore that. Just keep preaching, keep serving, and people will see that the lies are lies. Now, Jesus did talk about, Jesus did talk about, uh, about the, the temple and, and being destroyed and in three days be raised again. But you'll know if you go back to when Jesus said this, Jesus did not say, I will destroy this temple. He didn't say that. He was talking to the Pharisees and 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 they said what what miracle do you do you give to prove to prove this or what, what you're saying what you're doing and jesus says destroy this temple and in three days i'll raise it up again destroy this temple now what was he talking about he was talking about himself now how do you know that he was talking about himself it says even the disciples knew that he was talking about himself how would the disciples know that jesus was talking about himself there was something else going on there of gestures jesus did not say destroy this temple he says destroy this temple he's talking about himself and he was clearly talking about himself but these individuals lied and said said we heard jesus say i will destroy this temple which is a lie which is made with hands and within three days i'll build another made without hands he didn't say that they took what he said and completely corrupted it. 
But neither so did their witness agree together either. And Jesus didn't even respond to that. Look at verse 60. Look at verse 60. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Answerest thou nothing? Are you not saying anything? Are you not going to defend yourself against any of these things? Answerest thou nothing? What is it with these witnesses? What is it which these witness against thee? Jesus is giving us an example. Do not respond to the liars. Do not respond to false witness. Ignore them. Ignore them. Verse 61, but he held his peace. He said nothing. As a sheep before her shears is dumb, so openeth he not his mouth. And as we see in the scriptures about answer not a fool according to his folly, and and do not cast your bread before swine, your pearls before swine, do not cast your, your, your food to the dogs, ignore them. Ignore them. But he held his peace, verse 61, and answered nothing. Answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him and said, Are thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Now we're getting somewhere else. Now it's a real question. Now it's a real topic. Now this is something biblical, doctrinal. This is something that that uh, that should be responded to. When it's just garbage, nonsense, lies, twisted, cherry-picked nonsense, completely ignore it. But when it's this, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Are you the Christ? Jesus said, what? Okay, can someone tell me, what did Jesus say in verse 62? What were the first two words of his response? What did he say? What did he say? Jesus answers this. Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? What did Jesus say? Are you the Christ? Now, now, let's just, for a moment, let's just look at this. What does Christ mean? The word itself, Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. All right? Christ is a title. It's a title. He, Jesus is the Christ. Now, if we take a look at this, Christ means the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one, the prophesied one. Now, what did the prophets say? Uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah, and all the rest of them uh, about about, um, who is, what is the Christ Messiah? The Messiah Christ will be born of a virgin, right? The Christ Messiah will be born of a virgin. And he will be, and his name will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. We see Micah the prophet in chapter five, verse two says says he'll be born in Bethlehem, the one whose ways are of old, even of everlasting, which is interpreted as the always existing one, Almighty God. Isaiah chapter nine, verse six: the child born, son given, will be called Wonderful Counselor. The mighty God, 
everlasting father prince of peace then we see in john chapter 4 jesus talking with the samaritan woman at the well she says we know that when messiah comes which is called christ he'll teach us all things and jesus says i that speak unto thee am he jesus flat out says i am the christ i am the messiah as the prophet said which is the mighty god the everlasting father jesus flat out says he is god jesus even says in john chapter 8 five times he claims the name i am before abraham was i am and the pharisees picked up stones to stone him was even at another time they go to stone him again and jesus says for what good work do you stone me they said not for good work do we stone thee but because thou being a man makest thyself god they knew what he was saying and jesus says in john 8 verse 24 if you do not believe that i am and i am in john 8 24 is ego emi which means the always existing one almighty god if you do not believe that i am the almighty god you will die in your sins jesus says and we also see in uh, now all throughout the rest of the scriptures jesus is god we see in Acts 20, 28, God purchased the church with his own blood. 1 John 5, 20, Jesus Christ is the true God and eternal life. We see again in Titus, God was manifest in the flesh. We see John chapter 1, the word which is God, verse 14, became flesh and dwelt among us. We see all throughout the scriptures again and again and again and again and again, proofs of his divinity, of him uh, telling the future, of him having power over life and death, him forgiving sin, him accepting worship, him claiming the names of God, him doing miracles that only God could do. He proved himself by many infallible proofs and in both word and deed proved himself. We see the prophets proved him. To him gave all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believes in him shall receive forgiveness of sins. Jesus is the Christ, the mighty God manifested in the flesh. That is who he is. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Jesus is God manifested in the flesh. <clears throat> God is spirit. Those that worship him is worship him in spirit and in truth. But God was found in fashion as a man. He fashioned a body for himself that he indwelt. Jesus is God manifested in the flesh. That's what the scriptures say. He's the son of God, but do you understand what son of God means? Flip it around. God the son, that means God manifested in flesh. The flesh body of God that God made for himself. As a God had the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, the, the, the burning bush, the Shekinah glory cloud, and the body of Jesus. God had had physical representations of himself for himself for his own work we have the pillar of cloud pillar of fire and the body of jesus that he fashioned for himself that's who jesus is look at this do you understand that this is what the bible says this is what god's word says god who cannot lie this is what jesus says Jesus said, uh, Jesus was talking with his disciples and uh, Philip says, show us the father and it sufficeth us. Jesus says, 
how Philip, how long have I been with you and you do not yet know me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. What does Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 say? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. The Mighty God. The Everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. The child-born son given is called Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Do you understand what that's saying? The prophets said it. Jesus said it. The apostles said it. The apostles wrote it down as God dictated to them. We hold it in our hands. The word of God says it. Do you say it? Do you understand what that the scriptures are saying that Jesus is God? It's what it says. In the beginning, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. What's that saying? What is that saying? Acts chapter twenty, verse twenty-eight. God purchased the church with His own blood. Who shed His blood and died on the cross? Who purchased the church with His blood? First John 5.20, Jesus Christ is the true God and eternal life. What's that saying? What's that saying? God was manifest in the flesh. Titus. Jesus stands before them and says, all hail. And they grab him by the feet and worship him. Jesus appears before Thomas and shows him his hands and his side. And Thomas falls down at Jesus' feet and says, my Lord and my God. What's that saying? What is that saying? What is the word of God implying? What is the word of God saying? What is the word of God showing? What is the word of God teaching? What is the word of God dictating, promoting, glorifying? What is it saying? For there's no... For, the, uh, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The name of Jesus, which is above all names, at whose name every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. Yeah. Okay, Quinn. What is it implying? What is it implying? What is the word of God implying? What is it saying? Clearly, blatantly, obviously, what is scripture saying? What is it saying? We know the Messiah comes, which is called Christ, who is what? The mighty God, everlasting Father, the one whose ways are of old, even of everlasting, Emmanuel, God with us, born of the Virgin, born in Bethlehem. We know the Messiah comes, which is called Christ, who teaches all things. Jesus says, I, the speaker to thee, am he. What is Jesus saying? What is he saying? The high priest stands up and says, are you the Christ, the son of God? Are you the Christ, the son of God? Are you the body of God? Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? As the prophet said, the mighty God, everlasting father, the wonderful counselor, the one whose ways are bold, even of everlasting Emmanuel, God with us. Are you that person? 
Jesus says, I am. But he doesn't, he doesn't just say, I am as a, as a personal acceptance of this. The I am that Jesus says is different. The I am that Jesus says is the same I am from the book of Exodus. If we go back into the book of Exodus, chapter, where is it? Chapter 3. Now, if we could take a look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 13. Let's take a look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 13. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, What is his name? What is his name? What shall I say unto them? Moses says, God, the people ask me what your name is. What is your name that I should tell them? What is his name? What shall I say unto them? Verse 14. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent, hath sent me unto you. All right, so that's Exodus 3, 14. God on Mount Sinai, out of the burning bush, spoke to Moses, told Moses, my name is I am. We go back to Mark 14, verse 62. Please listen in. Mark 14, verse 62. The high priest says, what is your name? Jesus says, I am. It is the exact same I am that Jesus says of himself, of a personal title, name, the same I am that God claimed out of the burning bush of Mount Sinai with Moses. Ego Emi, the always existing one. Jesus says, I am, and ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of glory. Now, verse 63, everybody knew that this is what Jesus was saying. Verse 63, and the high priest rent his clothes and said, what need we any further witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. You have heard the blasphemy. What's he getting at? Because Jesus is claiming to be God. And to the Jews, that's blasphemous. That's blasphemy. Claiming to be God. Jesus says, I am. They said, blasphemy. And they ripped their clothes. Blasphemy. You have heard the blasphemy. What think ye? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. Because it's a death penalty for blasphemy. So I ask all of you folks again, here is yet another impression, another teaching, another implication. What is this saying about Jesus? Who is he? Say it. Who is he?
Jesus says, but whom do you say I am? Is Jesus just a prophet? Do prophets accept worship, forgive sins, claim the names of God, heal the dead, raise the dead to life, and heal the, heal the lepers all of their own power and name? No. What about angels? Nope. What about other holy men? Nope. Who has power to forgive sin? Who has power to raise the dead? Who has power for life and death? Who has power to accept worship? Who has power? Look at this. Jesus is the Christ, the mighty God manifested in the flesh. Jesus is the Christ, the mighty God manifested in the flesh. You've heard the blasphemy. What think ye? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. Verse 65. They began to spit on him. They spit on God. They spit on God. They cover his face. And to buffet him, to punch and slap him. They spit on him and put a blindfold on him, started to punch him and slap him. Mocking him, saying, prophesy, prophesy, who hit you? Who hit you? And the servants did strike him with the palms of their hands. Verse 66. And as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, Art, art thou also? And thou was also was with Jesus of Nazareth. And he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch, and the cock crew. And the maid saw him again and began to say to them that stood by, This is one of them, one of the disciples of Jesus. And he denied it again. And a little after, they that stood by said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreed thee. Your, your, your dialect, your language betrays you. We know that you're one of the Galileans, one of the disciples of Jesus. And he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom ye speak. And the second time the cock crew. And Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said, And before the cock crow thrice, thou shalt deny me thrice. For the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he, when he thought thereon, he wept. The whole point of the gospel, the whole point of everything here, is it's the story of God's salvation. Not man. God's salvation, what God wrought. We cannot deny the scriptures. We can come up with all arguments that we want. All of the arguments, all of the loopholes, all of the things that we can think of. But it doesn't matter what I feel, what I think. It doesn't matter what anyone else says. It matters what God flat out says. But do we think ourselves smarter than God? Do we think that other philosophies and arguments and other religions are better than God? We, we know in our heart of hearts, we know what is right, that, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. That's why they corrupt Jesus. They reduce his sovereignty. 
They blaspheme that name which is holy. And they reduce his power, reduce his person, reduce his son. They strip him of his deity. And they make him just a base man or some other prophet or some other thing. Or they make him an angel. But as you see, the word of God flat out clearly says, as Jesus even told Peter that this is what's going to happen, and it happened. Who has power to know the future? Who is he? That's what it comes down to. What is the Christian faith? Faith in who? Faith in Christ. Who is he that I should have faith in him? I do not have faith in man or faith in prophets. I have faith in God. God alone. What did the prophets say would happen? Who would come to bring about salvation? Isaiah 53 is about who? How he'll be betrayed and arrested and tortured and even be put to death. But his days will be prolonged. He'll be brought back to life. What did Jesus say? I have power. I have power to lay down mine own life and take it up again. No man taketh it from me. Who has personal power for life and death to be able to willingly give themselves to death and bring themselves back to life again? No one can do that. Angels can't do that. Prophets can't do that. Holy men can't do that. But Jesus did. He bowed his head, gave up the ghost, and then he brought himself back to life again the third day. Only God can do that. What does the word of God show? We take a look at everything that's around us, everything everywhere. We see the evidence of it all. We see the evidence of it all. We can come up with all the arguments we want. We can try to dictate, we can try to find loopholes and arguments and, and, and ways around to explain everything, but you will have to face the truth. You will have to face the truth. And Romans 1, and while they knew God, and all these ones, they know who he is. And like I talked about, did the Jews know who Jesus was? They knew full well. They knew full well who he was. They knew what the, what the prophecy said. They knew what the scriptures say. The Jesus even says, you know who I am. And they hated him and rejected him anyways. It was staring them in the face and they rejected it and they spit on him. They spit on him and slapped away his hand of salvation. Even while they knew God, they glorified him not as God, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they become fools and they start worshiping nature. They start worshiping creation as God. The creation is its own God. It makes itself. It does itself. We are our own gods. We just we, we we establish our own destinies and they reject God. Jesus says, I am God. Believe in me, and you shall be born again. You must be born again. For if you be not born again, you should not enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Who established the kingdom? Who wrought the church with his own blood? The kingdom of faith, the kingdom of salvation. Who established it? Who is the kingdom? 
Who is the faith? Who seals the heart of every believer? What do the scriptures say? There is only one answer. There is only one answer when we face all of this. We can say what we want. But 750 years before Jesus, Isaiah 53, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. And he was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked. Between the two thieves, with the rich in his death, Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. They could find nothing to judge him with. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. He'll be resurrected. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Go over to uh, Psalm 22. King David, who was a prophet, prophet king king david wrote of this in psalm 22 how he, he was arrested and he, how he was crucified his hand he, they pierced his hands and his feet they even cast lots upon his vesture just as the roman soldiers did what does the word of god say what must i do to be saved what must i do to be saved all sin shall be forgiven them to the sons of men, and blasphemies wheresoever they shall blaspheme. All will be forgiven. All sin washed away. Though your, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be washed whiter than snow. Though they be red like crimson, they, sh they shall be washed white like wool. That ye may know that ye have eternal life. How can I know that I'm born again? What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? What is salvation hinged upon? Maintenance of works? religiosity keeping the law and the commandments water baptism what saves me without the shedding of blood there's no remission of sin the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life to jesus christ our lord so there must be a death and shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins is that not what jesus did Behold the Lamb of God, which shall take away the sin of the world. And he is the atonement for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. What does the Word of God say? Well, first off, you can say you believe in this, you can confess this all you want, and it'll mean absolutely nothing. Because the first step is to acknowledge who is Jesus. Because otherwise, 
Which Jesus are you confessing? The Jesus of Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Catholics, of the Adventists, Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, Shintoists, occultists, whatever. Even Richard Dawkins has a Jesus of his own imagination. But who is Jesus according to the Bible? Who is Jesus according to the word of God? Who is he? Who was betrayed by Judas? Who was arrested by the Pharisees, by the Sanhedrin? Who stood before the council and, and was mocked and scoffed and lied about? Who was then beaten and slapped and spit on? Who was taken to Pontius Pilate and told Pilate, for this purpose am I come? Who was then handed over to the soldiers and tortured and whipped and shredded to pieces and beaten and the crown of thorns beaten into his head, his beard ripped out of his face, his joints ripped out of their sockets? Who then was marched out of the city up to the hill? Who was laid on the cross? Who was nailed to his hands and feet? Who hung on the cross? Who shed his blood? and died who was speared who was taken down and buried who rose again the third day who is this one who is he who is he who was the one that spoke lazarus come forth who turned the water to wine who raised the dead who healed the lepers who healed the blind who healed the lame and the deaf who multiplied the bread and the fish who walked on water who did all these things who preached who taught who proved it who is this man who is he who claimed the names of god who claimed to be the great I am? Who claimed to be the Christ? Who is this one that claimed to be the Messiah? Who is this one called Emmanuel? Who is Jesus? Who is he? Who is he? There is only one answer. And he, he is no just some prophet. Some say thou art a prophet. Some say he's a holy man. Some say he's one of the prophets. Some say he's John the Baptist. But whom say ye that I am, Jesus says. What did Peter say? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Who is the Christ? The mighty God manifested in the flesh. God manifested in the flesh as thomas says my lord and my god peter says thou art christ god manifested in the flesh who is this one that accepted worship who is this one that stood before his disciples and held out his hands and says all hail and they grabbed him by the feet and worshiped him if he is just a man in the book then you don't know jesus if he is just some prophet to you, you don't know Jesus. If he is Michael the Archangel to you, you have no idea who he is. If you think he needs his mommy to do all his work for him, you got to worship and venerate his mommy, then you have no idea who he is. If he was just some man, you have no idea who he is. But yet, you do. 
but you're rejecting him. You're pushing him away because you refuse to acknowledge it. You refuse to accept it. You refuse to confess it because you know what it is, but you're too afraid. Because you uh, you tout yourself as smart, but the, the, those who profess themselves to be wise become fools because they deny the Christ. They deny the Lord Jesus. It is a foolish, foolish thing to deny the Lord Jesus, to reject him, push him away, and refuse to acknowledge him. Men do that because they love their sin more than God. Because they love their sin. Because they will not repent of their sin and, and confess Christ. Because they know that if they confess Christ, they know that they are held accountable to him. That they must be held accountable for their sin. And they don't want that. They want a God that's, that will not judge them for their sin. They want a God that will, that will condone their sin. A God of their own imagination. And the foolish heart was darkened. And they professed themselves to be wise. They became fools. And they worshipped and served the creature more than the creator. And, and they twisted the truth of God into a lie. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe, the Lord says. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. If you think that if you think that, that, that God is just going to do whatever you want to, to, get, to, to condone this, uh, your, your personal belief, then you don't understand. Then you, then you have the twisted belief of Thomas. Until I see his hands and his feet, I will not believe. And Jesus, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. You want a God of your own imagination. The word of God is not enough for you. The word of God is not enough for you if you can't just accept what it says. You, you are refusing, rejecting the word of God, even though what it flat out says, knowing that God cannot lie, rejecting the word of God, and you want a God that, that will come and kowtow to your personal rejection and rebellion. What does the word of God say? What does the word of God say? Who is Jesus according to the scriptures? He's not going to say anything different than what it already says. He's not going to do anything different than what he's already done. For this purpose am I come, Jesus says. For this purpose am I come. He came to save us from, the, from our sins. He must believe the word of God. And he believed the word which Jesus said. And Jesus says, thy faith hath made thee whole. Faith, believing trust. He stands before Nicodemus and tells Nicodemus he must be born again. How? Believe. Believe. Can you not just believe what Jesus says? Can you not just believe what he has said, what he's already done? He already did come. He already did miracles. He already proved himself. What more do you need? All of the proof, all the evidence is there. It's all there. What more do you need? He already did come. He walked this world. He was here. For over 30 years, he lived on planet Earth. And he proved himself. By all the millions of miracles, all his teaching and showing himself and proving himself. What more do you want? If this isn't enough for you, what he's already done, then it's just sheer pride. Sheer pride and arrogance. And there's the thing. Are you hearing it? Are you hearing it? Are you hearing it? Or are you rejecting it? Blessed are those who have ears to hear. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit saith. Are you allowing the Lord to speak to you? Are you rejecting what he says? This isn't enough for you.
This isn't good enough for you. This, the word of God, the word of Jesus Christ is not good enough for you. His miracles, his teachings, his proofs, his cross, burial, resurrection is not enough for you. You think yourself so special that God has to do a special extra thing for you to bring you to him because the word of God is not enough. That's arrogance. It's pride. Think yourself better than what the Lord has already done. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? Peter denied the Lord. Peter denied the Lord. Three times he denied him. After running away and abandoning Jesus, then he denied Jesus. But then what did Peter do? He realized that this is the case, that this is what happened. He realized that he abandoned the Lord and denied him. And look, it says in verse 72, and when he thought thereon, he thought about this and realized that this is what he was doing. He wept. He cried. He fell before the Lord and wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. And he asked the Lord to forgive him. He asked the Lord to forgive him. And what do we see later on? Later on, we see after the resurrection, Jesus meets Peter. How many times did Peter deny the Lord? But not just that, but we see Jesus stood on the beach there and Peter and the disciples are in the boat fishing and Peter sees Jesus and what does he do? What did Peter do initially? Ran away and abandoned. This time he saw Jesus and he ran to Jesus. So we see a reversal of what has happened. He ran to Jesus. And then Peter denied the Lord three times. And then what did Jesus do? He asked Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord. So we see the Lord forgave him, did not deny him, did not reject him, did not cast him away. But the, but the weeping, the sorrow that fell on Peter after he denied the Lord was a sorrow of a, of a, of a godly sort. Godly sorrow leadeth thee to repentance. Godly sorrow leadeth thee to repentance. If you have denied the Lord, rejected the Lord, wandered from the Lord, it's time for you to come back. Like the prodigal son, it's time for you to realize you're better off with your father and that you need to repent of what you've done. You need to climb out of that pig pen and return. You need to come back to the Lord and embrace him. You need to ask him to forgive you. He will forgive you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what the circumstances. It doesn't matter what 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 you've committed in sin. He will forgive. All sin shall be forgiven. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's the promise of God. He is faithful and just. I will not deny thee. I will not cast thee away. I will never reject thee. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. These are promises of God. What does the Lord say? What does the Lord say? It doesn't matter who I am. It doesn't matter what I've done. It matters who he is, what he's done. What does the word of God say? 
So again, it all starts. It all starts. What Jesus are you seeking for? What Jesus do you want? Do you want a Jesus of your imagination? Do you want a Jesus that's just a prophet? Do you want a Jesus that's just an angel? Do you want a Jesus just some holy man? Or do you want a Jesus, the Jesus, that's God? Which Jesus do you want? What Jesus are you seeking? A Jesus that's convenient. Or a Jesus that's true and faithful and just. And he will call you on your error. He will correct your sin. He will teach you properly. Or a Jesus that, that'll just condone and, 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 uh, and treat you with kid gloves and limp wrists. What Jesus do you want? A Jesus that will correct you and discipline you and teach you and help you and hold you. Do you want a Jesus that's God or a Jesus that's not? So that's where it lies. If you cannot, if you cannot acknowledge the Jesus of the scriptures, if you cannot accept what the word of God says, then God is not going to accept you. If you cannot accept the Jesus of the Bible, you will hear name not found written. If you cannot accept the Jesus of the Bible, you will cry and scream, Lord, Lord. If you cannot accept the Jesus of the Bible, you will be cast into the lake of fire on that day. If you cannot accept the Jesus of the Bible, you will be judged for your sins and condemned and be found guilty. If you cannot and will not accept the Jesus of the Bible, your faith is vain. You are yet in your sins and you are not saved. Salvation is completely 100% hinged on whether or not you accept and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the mighty God manifested in the flesh or not. Many in that day will cry, Lord, Lord, because they thought Jesus of some other other form and sort. Many go their way thinking that their name is written in the book of life. And they don't understand. Many hear these words and acknowledge them for a while, but then reject that's Hebrews 6, 4 to 6. Because they were only under the enlightenment and they thought they were saved, but they never were. What does the word of God say? That's the only thing that matters. You can argue this all you want. You could try to find all the loopholes, all the other ways to try to get around it, try to excuse it, try to figure it out. You can believe whatever you want. You can go your way, believe and be and identify whatever, whatever you want. But, it, but you will be held accountable. You will have to pay the consequences if you reject the word of God. Jesus came to die on the cross. Jesus came to pay for our sins. Like he said he would. The prophets, thousands of years before, said it all. 
how he would heal heal and open the eyes of the blind and help the poor and the sick and the needy and how he'd be arrested and beaten and tortured and killed and, and buried and rise again they they showed it all they showed how he would come by the virgin they showed where he would come in bethlehem they showed what his names would be the mighty god they, they identified him to a t exactly who he was who he is everything about him proving him even his deity And Jesus fulfilled it all. But he's not going to save you against your will. God is a gentleman. He offers out the hand, the gift. It's not a reward, it's a gift. It's a gift. He says, this is what it is. If you want to take this gift, firstly, you have to acknowledge who I am. You have to acknowledge who I am. Are thou the Christ, the Son of God? Are you God manifested in the flesh? They asked him. He says, I am. What more do you want? What more do you want? So let me ask you a question. All all those listening in. Uh, just answer this simply. This book. Are the truths in this book enough for you? Is this enough for you? Does this convince you what this says? Do you believe what the word of God says about Jesus? From the heart. Do you honestly, honestly believe? Do you believe from the heart Jesus is the Christ, the mighty God, just as Scripture says? Do you believe that? Do you believe that the mighty God came down in the form of man went to the cross for your sins shed his blood and died on the cross for your sins was buried and on the third day rose again to life according to the scriptures do you believe that can you accept that do you believe that then what must you do what must i do then to be saved believe that tell him tell him that you believe if, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's what it says. And if you cannot accept that, then you are yet in your sins and, and you will face the judgment. But if you can accept that, and if you call upon him in belief and faith, your, the, the condemnation of your sin is removed and placed upon the atonement, atoning work of Jesus Christ. He pays the price if you believe on him. This is what the word of God says. It's before you. And what I'm going to leave you with is one last point. One last point. Romans 1. Romans 1. All those who reject this, all those who will not listen, all those who cannot accept what God says is truth and, and they want to believe in some other philosophy, some, some other way, this is what God has to say about you. Romans 1, 18. 
For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. They deliberately hold the truth in unrighteousness, knowingly, consciously, because that, that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So that they are without excuse. They are without excuse. You have no excuse. When you stand before God on that day, He's going to judge whether or not you've accepted his way of salvation or not. And if you have not, then you'll have no excuse. You can't say you weren't told. You can't say you weren't warned. He's not going to weigh your good against your bad. There's no bargain. There's no barter you can do with him. There's nothing you can argue with him about. There's nothing you could possibly say. There's nothing you could possibly do. There's nothing, nothing. You'll be standing there in the condemnation of your sin and God will show you every time you've been told, every opportunity you've been given and you are without excuse. Because it's the Lord God, Jesus Christ for salvation. Rejection of him is hell. It's what it says. It's what it says. You can say whatever you want. You can argue in any way you want. But you've been told, you've been warned. Salvation is by grace, through faith, by belief alone in the Lord God Jesus Christ alone. Not of yourselves, not of works, not by righteous works, not by works of the law, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's a gift, not a reward. It's the gift of God. The gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus, the Christ, the mighty God manifested in the flesh. He's already proved himself by many infallible proofs. He doesn't need to prove anything else. And if you can't accept the word of God says, you are deliberately like these Pharisees, like these priests, you are deliberately spitting in the face of Jesus and slapping him, rejecting him because you want something else, because this is not enough for you. When you reject this, you spit in the face of God. That's the moral of the story. The Judas kiss. The Judas kiss. Kissing Jesus, just like Judas Iscariot did. Judas, betrayest thou the son of man with a kiss? Think about that. I want you to think about that. No different than these ones that spit on Jesus. They knew full well who he was. He told them, he showed them, he proved it. They knew who he was and they, and they spit on him anyways. They rejected him because he was not enough for them. Is he enough for you? Is he enough for you? If he's enough for you, tell him. Even if you are saved, take a moment and thank him. Prove him. Prove your faith in love, worship, and adoration of the Lord God Jesus Christ. All others, they've been told, they've been warned, there's nothing more we can do. All those that, that have heard, they have been told, it's on their, their blood is on their own head. My hands are clean. My hands are clean. 
if the watchman on the wall sees the danger coming and does not warn the people and then they are harmed their blood is on his own head but if he sees the danger coming and he warns them and tells them and warns them and they reject it their blood is on their own head i'm telling you right now your blood is on your own head my hands are clean i've done everything i can i've told you i've shown you i've argued i've debated i've proved it i've preached it i've taught it i've demonstrated it this is what the word of god says this is what salvation is this is what you must do this is who jesus christ is how he is the christ what christ means i proved it showed it all it's on you now lord open their eyes lord it's time for thee to work i hand it over lord my hands are clean so you folks go to tell them warn them show them preach it teach it demonstrate it be servants of the most high god show them what the word of god says make sure your hands are clean are they examine your life examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith examine your hands are your hands clean have you done what you could we have one job one job only to do that is to go and tell them we don't convict it's not my job to convict we don't save we don't convict it's not our job to tell the sinners to go to church it's the job of the church to go to sinners go tell them show them and if they will not listen they were told they are without excuse your hands are clean you will not be held accountable for all those that reject jesus christ What does the word of God say? That's all that matters. So with that, we see the hour has come. The hour has come. The hour is upon us now. The hour is upon us now. There's upon us the weight of the message of reconciliation. To go and show people what Jesus has done. What he has proved. What he has shown. There's only so much that we can do. I'm not the one that draws, neither are you. We don't draw, we don't convict, we don't change. All we do is say what has already been said. It's not about feelings. It's not about sensations. It's not about any. It's about, it's about the absolute truth. It's a truth. This is the truth. The way, the truth, and the life. It's a truth of believing in a truth or rejecting the truth. That's what it's about. It's not about sensations and feelings, anything else. It's about what it says is what it means. There is a God. And his name is Jesus. And he saves by grace through faith, by belief alone. That I'm a sinner. And I must be born again. How? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. By grace he saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works as any man should boast. I believe the truth. Can you accept the truth? Can you accept it? And if it's not enough for you, then you've spat in the face of God. That's what it is. So think about it for a moment. If you were to die today, I want to leave this thought 
If you are not saved, if you have not believed in this truth, then, Lord God, I ask, I ask, O Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus, that you would cause these ones to smell the smoke of hell, to hear the crackling of the flames, to feel the weight of their sin, and to see the corners, the edges of the cross. Lord, that you would enlighten them and show them, and you would give them a moment. You would open their eyes, O Lord, that they may see. Lord, that you would have a mercy on them. I know that, Lord, with you, you, you are not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So, Lord, I ask that you would please open their eyes that they may see. Enlighten their heart and mind, Lord. Because I, I'm telling you, what if today was the day your soul will be required? If you are to die today, are you going to open your eyes in the flame and torments of hell? Or are you going to open your eyes in the glory of Christ? Are you going to be joining the rich, rich ruler in hell, screaming for a drop of water, saying this flame torments me, begging the mercy of God, but it's too late? Your sins drag you to hell. The sin that doth so easily beset that you cannot reject, that you cannot, yet you cannot let go because you want it. You want your sin more than Christ. So you deliberately water down and change the truth of God into a lie so, so that you can worship and serve the creature more than the creator. You change the truth of God into a lie so you can keep your sin. Romans 1, 18 to 25. Go read it. It's talking about you. Those of you who reject this and cannot accept it, I want you to think about that, that weight. That you're standing in that circle, spitting and slapping Jesus because you don't want him because you want your sin more. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? Give that some thought. Lord, open their eyes. This is as serious as hell. And as important as heaven. Your eternal soul weighs in the balance. Your eternal soul is standing on that line on a razor's edge. Razor's edge. You will fall into hell if you do not ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins. You don't ask him to seek you to save you from the condemnation of your sins. Belief alone saves. This is what the Word of God says. And if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no weight of sin to condemn. But you are freed. The blood of Jesus Christ saves us from all sin. Think about this. Think about this. So everybody here, I would like you to consider your mortal soul. Where is it going? Where are you going? If you're to die today, would you be in the presence of God or in the torment of hell? It's by belief. What are you believing? What does the word of God say? So wrap it up with that. So with that, that folks, please give this some thought. This is a serious, serious message. 
He came for a serious cause. He went through the pain and agony of torture, humiliation, and mockery, and all the pains of it. He suffered on that cross. It was a painful, agonizing, torturous, shameful thing that he went through. He was beaten beyond uh, beyond believability. It, 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 his visage was so marred, you couldn't even recognize him. You could see his bones because they tore him open. Dislocated his joints. Nailed him to the cross and he hung there suffering for hours for you. To atone for your sins. Your sins that put him there. You put him there. I put him there. And he shed his blood and died. He bowed his head, gave up the ghost, was buried, and on the third day rose again. The full work of Christ. He came for that, that purpose only. Now who is he? Who is he? What does the word of God say? It's as simple as belief. Can you accept this? Now can you confess this? Can you tell him? Tell him. Let today be the day of salvation. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. Repent and believe the gospel, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Because tonight, thy soul may be required of thee. Don't gamble your soul. So please consider this. Give this some thought. Bring it up before the Lord. If this does convict you, then call upon him. Don't postpone. Don't procrastinate. Let today be the day of salvation. Call upon the Lord Jesus. Say, what must I do to be saved? Just tell him. Just tell him. It, it, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. You tell him you accept him and believe. You believe and accept him as your God and Savior. You ask him to forgive you of your sins and save you. And you're saved. That's what the Bible says. It's not about works. It's about confession of faith, the confession of the belief of faith. By grace are you saved, not of works. That's what it says. So if you appreciate these studies, please give us a like, give us a thumbs up. And uh, make sure you hit the notification bell icon so you only put up new videos and check out all our other videos. We've got tons and tons and tons of other uh, other videos on this topic as well, on the gospel and salvation. And we even have a whole playlist dedicated to proving eternal security once saved always saved and that walks you through this and people some people struggle with uh you know how do they know if they're saved or they feel like maybe they lost their salvation well let's see what the bible says so we have a whole playlist dedicated to proving eternal security once saved always saved so please give that some thought and uh check those out and if you need help with any of that uh, please make sure you check out as well our website christiancoffeetime.ca we got links to all other uh, platforms and goodies, as well as our contact links. If you need to talk to someone, you can contact contact us directly, christiancoffeetime.ca. And uh, please, don't, don't put this off. Don't put this off. Don't dismiss this. Don't say, well, I'll deal with it tomorrow. Don't procrastinate your eternal soul. Let today be the day of salvation. 
What more do you want? What more do you want than what Christ has already said and done? He's already showed himself. One, one person says, well, if God would just come and prove himself, but he's already done that. And you crucified him. <laughs> you, he's already, he has already come. He has already done miracles. He's already proved himself. What more do you want? So think about it. What more can he say? So please believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So with that, we'll wrap that up there. Thank you so much for joining in, folks. God bless you. Uh, let's just uh, double check here and make sure there aren't any other things I should cover with this. Okay. Okay, so um, purely as a as a question, we were talking about Judas Iscariot. Now, Judas Iscariot never was saved, never was saved, and we can prove that from the Word of God. And uh, says maybe Judas is an example of a false convert. You can use that. You can uh, you can use it as an application, yeah, uh, because from the outward he looked like all the rest of the disciples. He went with them, he worked with them, he hung out with them, he did all the same stuff. But he was never saved. So yeah, it's an example of, of, of a, a false confession, false convert, because he, he, he would have said he believed in, he followed and all the rest of it. He sat at the feet of Jesus, all the rest of them. He heard all the same things, did all the same things. So yeah, so what's different? The belief of heart. The belief of heart. Judas was never saved. So yeah, and uh, going down through, we're talking about also the identity of Jesus according to the scriptures of what he looked like. Why did Judas have to point out Jesus with a kiss? Did the other people not know who he was? And we walked through that as uh, Isaiah 53 of the uh, identity of Jesus. Um, that yeah, it, it really does go completely against the grain of what is commonly thought of what Jesus may have looked like. Again, he was just a simple, basic, generic, bland looking john smith that's what's called a gray man someone who just blends in with such generic general bland features they just blends right into the crowd there was no identifying features or marks about him other than his message so yeah give that some thought okay uh going down through make sure there's nothing else okay and for quinn you need to sober up you need to consider these things from a clear head examine yourself to see if you're in the faith see what the word of god says stop trying to understand the word of god under the intoxication of liquor you're not going to get anywhere with that they nothing but the lies of the devil will get into your ears you need to repent of that okay and going down through Miss um, G says, yes, I believe, I pray that there were less other books that try and explain the Bible and corrupt things that cause others to stumble. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, issues and problems out there, uh, false teachings and stuff. That's why I don't go by any other sources. No other sources. Just open your Bible, ask the Lord to help you to understand, and just start reading it. What it says is what it means. 
It's as simple as that. A, an, an ignorant farm boy can pick up a Bible, open it up, and the Lord can speak to them and show them. As simple as what it says about Jesus or who he is and what he's done and all the rest of it. It's, it's simple. It's simple. So don't look to other people to try to explain it for you. Just look at what it says, what it says, what it means. Yeah. All right. Um, going down through here. Okay. And with that. Okay. Oh, there's one last. A force has a question here. Uh, what did Jesus go through before he went to the cross in all the suffering? Uh, like I said, it's a it's a long, long study, long topic. But I actually have a a three uh, a three part mini series in our playlists. Uh, if you go over, you'll check it out. The playlist called uh, the Trial of Christ. Trial of Christ. There's there's three videos in there where I walk you through the betrayal, the the uh, the judgment, the torture, crucifixion, uh, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'll walk you through the whole thing in the chronological order, and I'll walk you through all the details of everything that happened to him. Um, it's again, it's a, it's a, uh, there's a lot of stuff in there, so I, I don't want to bring it here. It will be here forever. So please check out that series again. It's called the Trial of Christ. It's a three-part mini-series that I did uh, a little while ago. So please make sure you check that out. If you need help finding those videos, you again can uh, contact me through our website. If you don't already have the contact info, christiancoptime.ca and uh, let us know what you're looking for and I'll send you the link. So yeah. Okay. So with that, we'll wrap it up there. So thank you so much for joining in, folks. God bless you. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love his holy word. Hope to see you again. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless.